Hey, good morning. Today we're going to be in the book of Micah. It's not a not a place we go to often, so you probably might need to use your uh, table of contents. Micah is sort of toward the end of the Old Testament, and we're going to look at one of the prophets today because, I don't know, you know, when I read the prophets, uh, I don't always love the prophets. Um, the prophets are kind of cranky. The, the prophets are you when you don't get enough sleep, is kind of how it feels to me when I read them, because they're always just really negative, and, and they just say kind of, they're just, they're just mad. They're just always kind of mad. And so when you're reading through the Bible, they're basically four, kind of four sections of the Old Testament, kind of broken down, generally speaking. And the law is the first, and, and it, you know, th- this is the Ten Commandments and those sorts of things, and that's at the very beginning of, of the Old Testament. It's great stuff. You can read that until you get to Numbers, and then it's genealogy, and it's kind of difficult to read because... You can only read so many begats before you get, you know, uh, tired. It's tiring, but it's good stuff. And then the book of history, the, the history books, I like those a lot because it's the stories of, of David and the kings, and, and they did stuff, and it's super cool, and so I like that a lot. And then you get to poetry. I'm not a poetry dude unless it's Dr. Seuss, and so uh, I don't always love the poetry stuff. However... It's like Psalms and Proverbs, and there's a, there's great wisdom in those books, and so uh, much of it is good um, if you like that sort of thing, and, and so that's good. And then you get to the prophets. The prophets are a little, like I said, they're a little cranky. They're, they're a little sleep-deprived, it seems. And they say stuff like this. This is an example. Amos, one of the prophets. Hear this word, you cows of Bashan. I mean, uh, if I came in today and said, hear these words, you cows of Greer. I mean, that would be, um, it'd be a turnoff. I mean, let's, let's face it, I, I would never do that. But this is Amos, you know, who oppressed the poor and crushed the needy. And, and let me give you another example. This is Isaiah. Stop bringing meaningless offerings. And, and it's almost like he's saying, stop. And he's clenching his fists and he's gritting his teeth. Your incense is detestable to me. And, and what Isaiah is saying is God doesn't care so much about your, what your sacrifice is. Because they would go to the, the temple and they would offer sacrifices. He's not so interested in that as he is in how you actually treat people. There's, let me give you one more example. Micah. And we're going to be in Micah today. Um, he says, Should you not know justice? You who hate good and love evil... Who tear the skin from my people and the flesh from their bones. Who eat my people's flesh, strip off their skin, break their bones in pieces. Ah, I mean, who chop them up like meat for the pan, like flesh for the pot. Now, not only, not only do they say kind of cranky things, they do sort of, they do these things to get your attention. I'll give you some examples. God instructed Hosea to marry a prostitute. Her name was Gomer. Who marries a woman named Gomer? Uh, Of course, I did like her show. Uh, But anyway, um, he marries a prostitute, and and it's a visual. And, And God is saying, you as a nation, you are my people, yet you're prostituting yourselves. And you have Ezekiel. And Ezekiel one time cooks his meal over cow dung, and it's... To show that the Israelites, the people of God, are not behaving well. They're they're, um, defiled. 
And then you have Ezekiel. And Ezekiel one time, as a sermon, or Jeremiah, sorry, as a sermon illustration one time, he, um, he digs up a used, unwashed undergarment. Are you getting the picture? And he says, this is, how you're, this is who you are in your relationship to God. You're stinky and rotten and horrible, and it's really kind of, it's, it's just, he just does these things. And then our boy Isaiah, he tops it all off. For three years, he preaches buck naked, as in ain't got no clothes on. Now, the prophets are a little bit hard to read because they do these things... What you never read is Mr. Rogers the prophet. I mean, it's never that. It's never, you know, let's just be nice to each other. It's always God has problems with you. It's like Festivus. I've got issues with you, you know, and I'm going to tell you about it. This is what the prophets feel like. And it's easy to skip them, frankly. I mean, you're reading through your Bible, and, and, and you get to the prophets, and it's like, ah. Oh, they're just hammering the people of Israel, and you're like, oh, okay, I know they're hammering the people of Israel, but I really kind of don't want to read that. Because how does it apply to me? The, the, the consensus is, how does it apply to me? Because that was way back then, and I know stuff was whack back then, and it was kind of crazy back then, but today is today, and it's not as crazy. And maybe we don't need that message anymore. Okay, here... <laughs> The best way I've ever heard this illustrated was, was if, if you're a singer, if you have perfect pitch, and you're around people who don't have perfect pitch but they're singing, some of you had this experience only moments ago. Uh, you're standing with people. And in your heart, you don't say it out loud because you're at church, but in your heart you're saying, I wish they'd shut up. Uh, really, because they're not, they're not enhancing my worship experience. Okay, you're kind of thinking that. If, if you don't know perfect pitch, I mean, if you're not a good singer and that, these people are not singing well and you're beside them, you don't care. You're just, you're just letting it go, right? You're, just, you're bringing it. Like when I'm in the car and Tiny Dancer comes on. I mean, I am singing it, man. Me and Elton, I am, I am bringing it. Hold me closer. I mean, I am bringing that. I'm tearing that up. Not with anybody in the car, though. Because they'll tell me to shut up. That's kind of how it goes. Okay. But, but if you know what it should be, if you're musically trained and you know what it could be, and you hear what it is and it's off, this, this is it's a great picture. Because God knows what this world could be. And he knows what it should be. And here's what's really interesting. He has strategically placed his people in the world so it can be like that. It can be just and fair. And it can be better than it is. And, and if you know what it could be and you know what it should be and it's not that, it has a tendency to aggravate you. When people make mistakes, it, ha you, it aggravates you. I, it reminds me of this story. There's this guy has started up kind of a second location, right, of his business. And one of his friends orders some flowers to be sent sort of in 
uh, honor of this, this uh, new opening. And, and he shows up at the store and the flowers are there, but the flowers say, rest in peace. And so the guy that ordered the flowers, he is just livid. It's like, that's not what I ordered, and I'm sorry, dude, I, I'm, this shouldn't say that. And so he calls the florist, and the florist is chill. I mean, he's so chill, and he says, dude, I'm sorry. But just think about how bad it is for those people at the funeral that there's a, a spread that says congratulations on your new location. So, uh, <laughs> so it's good to be chill, you know, about stuff. And when you know what it should be, it kind of has a tendency. By the way, with music, that illustration I was given just a second ago, um, Music has this way of, of, of unleashing. Did you know that at Guantanamo Bay, when they were trying to, to break the prisoners, they would play that Barney song, I Love You. They would play it over and over. I mean, you could play that for like five minutes, and I'm telling you everything. And that's a, So the, the idea is God wants to break us a little bit. He, he wants the, the prophets give a message of there's a way it should be better. It should be better than this. You should be better than this. And that's what the prophets speak to. My dad, I got to go home this last week and be with my mom. My dad passed away a few years ago. But there's one thing about my dad. He was a little passive aggressive. And, and I still think about him all the time. But, but daddy, when we were working together, and as a young man, you know, you're working with your dad out in the shop or whatever, he would say stuff to me like, don't make me tell you everything you need to do. You should look and see what needs to be done, and you should do it. And he expected me to do that. I mean, how ridiculous is that? He expected me not to have to be told everything, but just to see needs and fill needs. And I think when God speaks to the prophet, you know what he's saying? He's, saying, he's basically saying, don't make me tell you everything you need to do. There's stuff all over the place that needs to be done. You should do this. That's why you're here. You're on the earth to make it better. You should do this. And, and we see the world. And, and when you see the world, you see stuff going on. We see violence. There's violence. We see it on the news. Listen to this statistic. In Chicago last month, there were 273 people shot and wounded. And 46 people died in Chicago last month. 46 people died from gunshots in Chicago last month, and over 270 were wounded. But, that's Chicago. And we know there, there's human trafficking, but it doesn't apply to my family. I mean, none of my kids. That's why when I watch the movie Taken, I'm like, that could happen to my kids. I've I got daughters. It could happen to me. That's why I've been working. I've been watching every episode of uh, Jason Bourne. I'm messing some people up. If they take one of my kids, I'm just going to do it. But, but we, see, we see issues of porn and disease in Africa. This is one of the most startling statistics I read this week. 8,000 a day in Africa are either born with or contract HIV. 8,000 a day. Africa contains about 15% of the population of the planet, and yet 70% of the HIV cases happen in Africa. But that's Africa. I mean, it's not here. It's not us. And this is how we think. Well, yeah, we know some bad stuff's going on. Do you know 
that the life expectancy in some countries in sub-Sahara Africa are, uh, one country is 49 years old. That's, that's the life expectancy, 49. And that's just not right. And we see a, babies aborted, and we see opioid addiction, and we see all of these things, and there's poverty, and we know poverty goes on in Atlanta, we know poverty goes on in Charlotte, we know poverty goes on in Columbia, but it's not here. And, and so we sort of ascribe to the, the out of sight, out of mind. If I don't see it, then maybe it's not there. Or if I don't see it, it's not my responsibility. But does God see it that way? I mean, that's what the prophets are saying. <laughs> You've got to open your mind and your eyes to see the things that God sees. Because the prophet has this responsibility of saying, I mean, God doesn't do a prophet any favors. I'm just going to be honest with you. Because God allows the prophet to see things the way he sees them. He allows the prophet to feel things the way he feels them. And he can't help the prophet, that is, but speak out. It's just too much for him not to say something. And Jesus, who was a prophet, by the way, said, when people go unvisited in prison, it's like I'm being unvisited. And when people go hungry and nobody helps them, it's like I'm hungry and nobody's helping me. And when people are lonely and nobody goes to them, it's like I'm lonely and nobody goes to them. I mean, Jesus said, this, this, when we see need and we don't meet it, it's like you're doing that to me. Micah says this about that. He, he says, if a liar and a deceiver comes and says, if, if a preacher comes and says, I'll prophesy for you plenty of wine and beer, he would be just the prophet for this people. If, if he were to preach happiness and rainbows and unicorns and ice cream for everybody, that's the guy you want. That's Old Testament. New Testament, same thing. The time will come when people will not listen to sound doctrine, but will follow their own desires and will collect for themselves more and more teachers who will tell them what their itching ears want to hear. They just want to hear the good stuff. The problem is it's not just good stuff. There's a lot of bad stuff out there. And the events that horrified and appalled the prophets are everyday occurrences today. It just still happens today. So the prophets say, all right, this is how you should respond. Now, if you're like me, you look at some of this and you go, oh my word. It, that, is, that is significant and overwhelming, and I don't know where to start. It's much like when I walk into the, the laundry room at home. The pile of laundry is significant and overwhelming, and I don't know where to start. That's why I let Miriam do it. Uh, that's... And this is kind of how we behave. We look at the problems and we like, we're like, it is too much. We should let somebody else take care of it. But we're not given the option in Scripture of just letting somebody else take care of it. Mother Teresa said this. It's, this is brilliant. Never worry about numbers. Help one person at a time and always start with the, the person nearest you. Don't worry about helping everybody. Here's what we need to understand. I can't help everybody. Just because I can't help everybody doesn't mean I shouldn't help somebody. It is 100% true. 
we can, none of us individually can help everybody. Even collectively, we can't help everybody. But each one of us can help somebody. We can all help somebody. And so Micah speaks to this, and he says this. With what shall I can come before the Lord and bow down before the exalted God? What, what offering should I bring? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with 10,000 rivers of oil? Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgressions, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? And the implied answer is, is no. There's sort of this escalation. Of, of offerings here. He, he's saying uh, anybody can offer a burnt offering. Everybody can offer a burnt offering. In fact, the way the law was, was structured was such that even if you were incredibly poor, you could offer something. It, it, it might not cost much because you might not have much, but you could offer something. So anybody could offer a burnt offering, but then to offer a calf a year old, that was expensive. And then to offer 10,000 rams, well, really only a king could probably maybe do that. And then to offer 10,000 rivers of oil, nobody could do that. Not even a king could do that. And then to offer a firstborn, well, that's what the pagans did. And certainly that's not what God is asking. The point is, even the greatest sacrifice isn't enough to shirk your responsibilities. And then Micah says this, He has shown you. Y'all, He has shown you what He wants. Oh, mortals, people, y'all, that mortal, it should be y'all. That's the way, oh, y'all, what is good? What does the Lord require of you? To act justly, justly, to love mercy, to walk humbly with your God. This is what he expects. this, This isn't hard to understand. He's, he's like, he's shown you. I mean, communication's tough sometimes. I was at college. <laughs> they were having some problems at college where I was at school, having trouble with people uh, being obedient to dress code. And so somebody put a sign up that said, shoes are required to eat in the cafeteria. And some punk wrote under it, socks can eat anywhere they want. Uh, so uh, uh, I was, thought it was kind of funny. So let's talk about what, what does God want us to do? I mean, he says here, it's, it's obvious. It, God has made it clear. Let's talk about the clarity of what God wants us to do. Number one, we have to do right by others. I just went home to uh, my mother's house to help her. My mom will be 85 in three weeks. So she, she's elderly and she lives by herself. She's remarkable. She has good health and those sorts of things. Not everybody has that at 85 years old. But the other day she had someone come... Uh, to her house, and they were uh, looking under the house, and it was somebody that does pest control, and they told her that she needed this, and she needed this, and she needed this, and, and they were going to be happy to do that for her because they, are, they love her so much. They were going to be happy to do that for her for $5,000. Now, she calls me, and I am about, I'm about to lose my mind because... Somebody is trying to take advantage of my 85-year-old mother. Now, listen, you can take advantage of me. I, I don't like that. But you try to take advantage of an 85-year-old woman who lives alone, and there's something wrong about people who would take money from little old ladies who live alone. And I got under the house and was like, you don't need all that stuff. 
We, we get animated when somebody try, t- tries to take advantage of us, or worse yet, our family. And what, what this is saying, when we act justly, what we're saying is, why don't you get just as animated when you see somebody else being taken advantage of that's not your family? James put it this way, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. God expects us to take care of people who can't take care of themselves. This is his expectation. Again, I can't help everybody. I see so many needs. But here's what happens. When I start to look for things that I could do, I find things that I could do. I might not be able to help it everything but I can help somebody I can help someone I can't help everyone but I can help someone and when I start to pray God open my eyes to needs that are around me that I could do something about he shows me stuff and I'm pretty sure if you were to ask God I can't help everybody you know that but I can help somebody show me somebody I can help I read this really cool story this week these are two boys. Their names are Dominique uh, Serino. One of them is nine, and Ryan Decker is 11. I'm going to go with nine on the left, 11 on the right. They set up a, a lemonade stand. Um, let's see what town they were in. Salem, Massachusetts. And they set this up in the summer. They were out of school. They're killing it, man. They made $130 at their lemonade stand. Now, up the street, not too far, there's a um, uh, kind of one of those hot dog wagons that is established an established business. The guy that owns that is um, Mr. Kefalis. And one of his employees complained to the police about the lemonade stand. Not so much they wanted to take the lemonade stand down, they just needed them to move it up the road a little bit because they were taking business away from Mr. Kefalis's hot dog stand. So the police, because they've been called in, had to look into the situation. And when they investigated, they found that these two boys hadn't got gotten a permit which cost $2,200. So they were in violation. This is when the mayor comes in, a guy named uh, Usovich. Usovich comes in, uh, Stanley Usovich, the mayor, comes in and has a conversation. And he negotiates a deal that Mr. Kefalis will put these two kids kind of under his license until school starts so they can sell their lemonade just up the road from the hot dog stand. That, that's to act justly. You, you see this error and you see and it's like, oh man, that, we can't put the kids out of business. Let's do something to fix it. Because here's the deal. To remain neutral, it's an option. It's just not a godly option. To see a need and to say, well, it's not my problem, it's an option. It's not a good option. Desmond Tutu said it this way. He said, if you're neutral in a situation of injustice, you've chosen the side of the oppressor. If an elephant has his foot on the tail of a mouse and says to you that you are neutral, the mouse will not appreciate your neutrality. You should do something. Being neutral just isn't a good option. It's an option, it's just not a good one. The second thing Micah says is you should love mercy. Let, let, let's explain it just for a second. The, 
the Hebrew word is chesed. chesed. Say it with me. Chesed. You have to say it way back. Like you're coughing. Like you're about to cough up a loogie. All right, here we go. Chesed. Yeah, okay. And everybody that has somebody behind them, you should do this. Okay. Chesed is basically this idea of loving kindness. It's the notion that love takes action. Loving kindness. I love, therefore I do. That's the word. And so when he says um, you, you should love mercy, he's saying you, because you love, you should do something. You, you should put yourself in the shoes of somebody else. Look, look at how Paul writes about it. He says, praise be to the God and Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our troubles so that we can comfort those in their troubles with the same comfort that we received from God. God gets us through difficult times, so we know how to help other people get through similar difficult times. We put ourselves in other people's shoes because we've been in other people's shoes. This is what he's talking about. And so loving mercy will always involve doing something, helping those who are in need and distress. And we saw a picture of this last week. You didn't hear this story, but you're going to hear this story in just a second. Chris is going to come up. Chris is our uh, creative arts pastor, and Chris takes care of music and, and uh, the, uh, our website and those sorts of things. And last week we had our meal uh, to, as a fundraiser for, um, for our mission trip to Salt Lake City. By the way, that was really very productive. And our goal for that, uh, for that particular, for this trip has been $4,000, and we've already raised over $5,150 about, which is awesome. Yeah, God is good. And so we, we had the goal of 4000 and then I found out later that we have a couple of other projects that we get to pay for while we're there, or we have an opportunity to pay for. So the overage, we're going to help just pour into the ministry there, which is really, really cool. But last week, part of our meal was we had uh, our two-time Special Olympic gold medalist, Jesse Godsey, he was signing autographs. Now, uh, if you don't know Jesse, Jesse's somebody you should know, but Jesse has these gold medals, and I asked him one time, would you let me wear one? Uh, maybe more than once, because um, it's the closest I'm ever going to get uh, to wearing a gold medal. And Jesse's a bit reluctant, and by that he, he basically said no uh, to me. So pick up the story, because Chris talked him into it somehow, to wearing a gold medal. Because I'm, I'm like his best friend, so he likes me a lot better than Evidently. Yeah, Evidently. Evidently. So I asked Jesse, I said, hey, Jesse, I want to play a joke on Pastor Joseph so I said, will you let me wear your medal, and I'll go show Joseph that I'm wearing it, and then he'll be jealous, and we'll laugh and have a big laugh about that. And so he was like, okay. <laughs> so I put, it, I put on one medal. Now, what I should have done is grab both of them, because here's what happened. He talked to my son, Grant, who was standing there with me, and he, he gave, once I walked away, he gave Grant the other medal and said, go give this to Pastor Joseph. Which is awesome. So the joke's on me, but it also showed how much love Jesse has for other people that he didn't want Joseph to feel left out or bad or anything like that. So there's, yep. there's this. Yep. It's the idea, how, how, can, how can I help somebody 
Um, when I see a need, how can I help them the best for them? How can I put myself in their shoes? How can I help them? It's a, it's a, that's what loving kindness looks like. And so to love mercy means I'm going to see a need, but I'm not going to just see it. I'm going to figure out what can I do to meet the need. Then there's one more to remain humble. Because here, here's what happens. And I think this is incredibly strategic. When we, um, when, when a prophet sees a need, and let's say, let's say you, you, get, you get amped up about something. You see something that, that's just wrong. Um, trafficking. You see human trafficking and that, that you know, pierces your heart and you want to be a part of the solution to that. And you become an advocate for that. Or you're pro-life. You see um, the, the need for uh, children to be born and not aborted. And, and, and you see that as a God thing. And it becomes your passion. And you can't think of anything else. Or, or you, you saw that, you heard that statistic about children in Africa with AIDS. And that just, that pierced you. That cut your soul. And, and that becomes your passion. The deal sometimes is... When it becomes your passion and not everybody else is passionate about it, because not everybody else will be passionate about it. God will direct some people to do certain things. He won't probably direct us all to do the same thing. But, but the problem is for us is, okay, I hear this is my passion and not everybody is passionate, and now I get mad at you for not being passionate about the things I'm passionate for. It's easy to do. And so he's talking about, hey, walk humbly. This is what God has given you to do. This is your thing to do. And, and you should talk about it. And you should advocate for it. And you should be a walking, talking billboard for this thing because you are passionate about it. Just be humble. If not everybody else joins it, some people will want to be a part of it. That's awesome. Not everybody will. It's not everybody's thing. It's not the way God has wired everybody. It's the way God wired you. Look at how Micah ends this. Our God, no one is like you. You freely give, forgive our sins and guilt. You don't stay angry forever. You're glad to have pity and you're pleased to be merciful. You will trample on our sins and throw them into the sea. And I think what God is saying to us is he, he wants us to act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with him because he acts justly. And he loves mercy. And he blesses the humble. He, he's asking us basically to be like he is. Let me show you a picture. This is Ernie Johnson. If you, know, if you are a basketball fan at all, Ernie Johnson is part of the team, uh, that I think it's uh, TBS that works uh, the NBA games, but he also is part of, of college basketball, and that's kind of how I know him a little bit. Uh, I don't know him, but I know who he is. And Ernie Johnson is a devout Christian, and he and his wife, Cheryl, they uh, have adopted children. This is one of the children they've adopted. His name is Michael. They adopted him when he was three. Cheryl met Michael. I, I, the story doesn't exactly say where she met Michael, but Michael um, couldn't speak, had a, a, a club foot, and she called Ernie and said, Ernie, this, this child is has got my heart. And Ernie Johnson on the phone said, well, let's see if there's a way that we could adopt him. And they did. Michael's from Romania, and 
he's been diagnosed with muscular dystrophy. And he's attached to a ventilator and he uses a wheelchair and his care is extensive and expensive. And yet Ernie Johnson says this about Michael. Some people can be driven by going on mission trips or digging wells for kids who don't have water. Everybody's wired differently. This is one of the ways we're wired. We have this heart for adoption. It's rooted in our Christian faith. We're instructed to care for orphans and widows, and we don't want credits. We don't want pats on the back. We're getting back a lot more than we're giving. Uh, it, it's, it, God will, if you'll allow, God will show you something to do. Because remember, just because I can't help everybody doesn't mean I shouldn't help somebody. Can't help everybody, but I can help somebody. So if this was Mission Impossible, let's end like this. Your mission, if you choose to accept it, is to find somebody to help this week who will likely never be able to repay you and then help them. Open up your mind and your hearts to somebody who needs help, who can't help themselves. If, I've got about a minute. Let, let me tell you how Miriam and I do it, J just so you know. Whenever I tell you this stuff, one of the things that's tough for me is we don't want to act like, you know, we got it all figured out. This is how we do it, just to give you an example of how some people do it. When Miriam and I first got married, one of the things that we decided that we wanted to do, we wanted to tithe to our church, which we've done for 28 years, but also we wanted to have a little, we call it our missions fund. We, we give... We give our 10% to the church, and then we have a little extra percentage that we put away, and we have a little missions fund. And we put it away every week or every time we get paid, we have a little missions fund. And when God puts on our heart to do something, now we have the money, we have some resources. If it's monetary, we have resources to, to put into that. And so when we have nieces and nephews are going on mission trips, we have some funds to give them. Or if somebody has a need that we know about and it's something that we can do and we feel like God wants us to, we've already, we've planned that God will probably show us some needs and we want to make sure we're ready to respond when he does. This is how maybe you could do it. You don't have to put a lot away. What if, what if you decided, I'm going to put 1% of my salary into a missions fund? or um, a serving fund, or whatever you want to call it. What, what, if, what, if, what if you decided, okay, that, that's a pretty cool idea. Why don't I do that? Why don't we do that as a family? And here's what Miriam and I do. Whenever there's a need that comes up, we'll discuss it. We, there's a board of directors. It's us uh, over this fund. And I don't take money out without talking to Miriam, and Miriam doesn't take money out without talking to me. We always have to agree on it. Now, there's never been a disagreement um, because I figure if, somebody, if God puts somebody on Miriam's heart, that's good. It's, I'm good to go on that. But we still, we, we respect each other enough to say. And, and I think Miriam feels the same way. If, if God puts that on my heart, then we're going to be good with that. But we always talk about it because that just seems like a good marriage thing to do. Our mission Micah would say, if he were here today, 
is to treat people right. Treat people the way you want to be treated. Act justly. To love mercy. Find somebody that needs to be helped and help them. And to do it humbly. You, you don't need a pat on the back. You don't need uh, a claim for it. You do it because God has called you to do it. And you're just an obedient son or daughter who wants to do what God called you to do. This is God's will for our lives. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you that you've given us these words. I pray that we would respond positively to what you've called us to do. Lord, help us to do these things, to, to act for people, to see people and to act to show loving kindness, to give, to serve, to help. Put in our hearts and our spirits to do these things, especially with people who don't look like us and act like us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.